0: plushcare.com slash weight loss
1: Hi, this is Marion Bartoli.
2: I'm Mats Svilander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Winka I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah.
0: I'm Drew Sellers.
3: I'm David Kemp.
0: And you're listening to the tennis podcast. <laughs>
1: Hello folks and welcome once again to the Tennis Podcast and a particular welcome to Drew and David there that you heard in our intro. They are Kickstarter backers of ours and uh, today they're going to be our guest editors for our listener questions special, which means that we all have to remember how to make podcasts because it's been a couple of weeks. We need to um, remember our opinions and all sorts of things. Yes, there are questions about the Ultimate Tennis Showdown, Matt, so uh, dust off your knuckles. He's uh, he's obviously in fighting mood today, as Matt, because uh, as I look at him here on my laptop screen, he is wearing his Fulham shirt. You look resplendent, Matt.
2: <laughs> I've, I've gone a bit early on the Fulham shirt. We don't kick off for another... Ten hours or so, but yes, quite quite nervous today, but wearing Fulham colours.
1: Matt's team, Fulham, are playing in the first leg of the playoffs. This is stage one of three uh, in their attempt to get promoted back to another season of misery in the Premier League. <laughs> uh, <laughs> alongside David, who's already uh, confirmed to be subjecting himself to a, a year of misery in the Premier League next season. Yeah,
3: yeah, I, the the night before I watched uh, uh my team just stumble over the finish line. I I watched um, Watford in the Premier League 0-4 down against Manchester City in about half an hour and I th- I really did change my mind as a, as to whether I wanted to go up or not.
1: <laughs> it made me it made me think, you know, Matt, um maybe think back to when we were when we were booking and planning our trip to the French Open. Um and planning our early days schedule around your travel to the playoff finals
2: yes in, at Wembley I said would it be okay <laughs> if I did a trip back to London if Fulham get in the playoff <laughs> final during the French Open
1: and we all decided that that would be content gold yes um, yeah and then the universe conspired against us and here we are six months later making more lockdown content enjoy <laughs> everyone um but we love the listener questions ones, don't we? It gives us a chance to rant and rave and um, yeah, give all our juicy opinions about things. Um, and it is it's Drew and David that have picked out the best of the of the questions from social media. They've they've come up with some of their own as well, um, and they're good questions. They're quite meaty, so um, prepare yourselves, folks. You ready?
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Bring it. <laughs>
1: Matt's never looked more ready. He's had a haircut. He's yeah.
3: What what do we think of the haircut? I mean, it's pretty dramatic, isn't it? He he did go four and a half months without <laughs> touching that hair. Yes,
2: I think any haircut would have been quite dramatic because yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's just quite just so transformative. It. Mm. It's
1: quite. Did you keep a lock of the hair?
2: No. To people do that? Know. I
1: don't know. As I said it, I thought, God, what
3: a weird question.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Catherine's had too much lockdown, everybody.
1: Moving on. Um, well, obviously, there are quite a lot of questions that have come in about lockdown, about COVID, about how it's going to affect tennis. Um, it's kind of unavoidable to, to address all of those issues um, and try and speculate about the the completely unpredictable. Because, um, frankly, that's what the situation has been and, and still is. But, you know, we make our money by... <laughs> predicting the unpredictable so here goes um it, it, the first first question um will go with uh something covid related um is it the player's responsibility to do what's safe for themselves or is it the tournament's responsibility to guarantee safety regarding covid there you go, nice easy one to to, <laughs> to, to, to to ease yourselves in who wants to take that
3: well I don't think it is possible to guarantee anything really you, you know the the tournaments for instance for instance the US Open it is incumbent upon them to create the safest environment possible and to convince the players that the bubble that they are creating and the passage they're creating into that bubble is as secure as possible but ultimately the players have got to decide whether that's something that they are prepared to do whether they're comfortable to do it whether they're also prepared to stay within an environment like that because they cannot be breaking the protocol we've seen in world team tennis they from what it seems like did a pretty decent job of creating a bubble danielle collins decided to go elsewhere um for i I mean she she did say it seems that she needed some treatment for her what's the condition she has rheumatoid arthritis which um you know OK, I, I sympathise with her, but but she broke the bubble and, and therefore got thrown out of World Team Tennis. We saw Grigor Dimitrov, who tested positive for, for COVID during the Adria tour, give an interview last night and, and sounds as though he's had a really terrible time with the illness, uh, I, I, you know, probably mild symptoms, relatively speaking, and yet he said he was in bed for three weeks and, and he's still feeling the effects of it now. So... Players have got to make the call as to how much of a risk they're prepared to take, how comfortable they are in doing so. But there is, it is impossible to guarantee safety, I think.
2: Yeah, I think the two aspects are linked. Like the onus is on both the tournaments to provide as safer conditions as possible and then on the players to respect them as well. Like one doesn't work without the other. They both need to be doing the right thing. And I think there's been an uh an addendum made to the ATP rule book that if that if um the protocol is broken it will count as some kind of code violation. I actually thought the wording of that addendum was was a little bit odd. It seemed to be discretionary. It seemed to be dependent on the severity of the breach of of the breaking of protocol. I think they would probably need to come down a little bit harder on that. I think they need to decide on what happens if there's any breach that on in all of this Pandemic. the one thing people need is clarity about what's what's okay and what isn't um so yeah i think i think the onus is on both the players and the tournaments
1: yeah i, I th- yeah i agree i think the onus is on the authorities to um gather as as much data and information as as possible to 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 make the risk assessments and to set policy um Accordingly and and guidance for the players. Um, But, you know, you're not going to be able to police every single player's movements, let alone their entourages. Um, at any given moment, so of course there's an ele- element of of personal responsibility. I've lost, unfortunately, all of my faith in people's common sense over the past six months. So all this kind of, you know, you hear quite a lot now in relation to COVID. Oh, we've all just got to act with common sense, okay? But it's been it's been <laughs> proven um, quite demonstrably that a lot of people don't do that. Um, so that concerns me. Um, and you know the example of Danielle Collins saying, and I, you know, I feel bad singling her out because there are plenty of similar examples. Jofra Archer, the, the the cricketer here, there have been lots of them. Um, but I think the thing with with COVID and this situation is that everyone's got a thing, everyone's got a reason why it's difficult, everyone's got a a thing which they could convince themselves makes them exceptional and gives them a, a reason to to bend or break. The, the rules. And the thing is that you you, you just can't, you just can't, no, no matter how valid that thing or that reason might be. So that, that kind of worries me. Um, and also putting too much onus on the individual responsibility, I think, ignores something quite critical about COVID and, and the nature of this situation, which is that it, it's not coming at it from a selfish point of view and thinking thinking of it in terms of whether or not you get the virus kind of misses the point it's about you spreading the virus and it kind of, you know it goes back to what we were saying in the early days of you've all just got to behave as if you've got it and it's about not spreading it to other people and thinking about it in terms of well you know I'm happy to take that risk for myself misses the point a bit because it's it's the fact that you're taking the risk also on behalf of everybody that you you come into contact with or might come into contact with and I that's I feel like that's quite a, a critical point but um yeah I would be wary of leaving too much up to trust and common sense perfectly uh personally because I I don't I'm not sure I'm not sure how much of that tennis players have <laughs> um but yeah um Next question uh, in terms of sort of COVID affecting tennis in the immediate future is the Western and Southern Open, which is what we're calling Cincinnati, because when does Cincinnati stop being Cincinnati when it's not in Cincinnati, Um, (laughs) (laughs) is the Western and Southern Open as a Masters 1000 event too intense for the first sanctioned event of the
3: restarted ATP tour? I think it's not ideal, but I think it's the only option. The fact that they had organised Washington as an alternative lead in event before that, and that has now gone because they felt that they just couldn't run it. They didn't feel that they had uh, sufficient international travel arrangements for returning uh, from Washington to wherever players had got to go without quarantine in order to to run it. That's gone now. That would have been a lower-level event. This is really, if you're going to have a US swing, it's pretty much the only way. It will be fascinating to see how the WTA get on with the fact that they're, they are launching a new event in Lexington, Kentucky in the same week as Washington would have been. So, what, 10 days before when the Western Southern Open will start? That still seems to be going ahead and it's got an incredible field. Serena Williams and Venus Williams and um, Coco Goff, Sloan Stevens, lots and lots of players, but mostly from the United States, from the ones that I've seen so far, or players that are based over there. That would be the better situation. Um, but really, I think we just, you can throw out the window everything you've been used to. I think players will adapt. I think players will. Break themselves in gently, unless their name's Dominic Team, who's been playing every single week for the last six months, um and he's just gonna go flying out the blocks and that element of it will be interesting as well. Those players that have just decided that they're not going to have a rest at all, they're just going to carry on as if they're normal tennis players, and whether they have an advantage or not, but I do think there'll be a lot of players, Andy Murray saying overnight that he is looking at entering qualifying for for the Western Southern Open to get additional matches.
1: Don't you think it's sort of become irrelevant now, whether it's a a Masters 1000 or a 250 or a 500? I mean, it's just an event that is happening that week. And I don't think the the size of of the event will will affect players' mentality about it uh, like it would have done in pre-Covid pre-covid
3: times Mm. Mm. be interesting to see whether there are more injuries that's the one of the elements that that i'll be looking out for to see whether the bodies can stand up from going from nothing to this
1: and and are there any measures that the atp and wta can introduce to try and mitigate that like like the uh the premier league have done with with drinks breaks (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, and five substitutions um, with the Premier League restart. Now, a lot of people have opinions about whether that's any use at all and whether it's fair, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But they've the fact is that they've recognised that as a risk and one one that they have wanted to at least try and and, and mitigate.
2: Mm. I'm not sure what they can do on the injury front. I know there were a lot on the. On the, was it the progress tour that the that the women were playing? There was an awful lot of injuries, but equally, as you said, a lot of players have been playing exhibition events for better or worse and probably building up a degree of fitness. I do think the ATP will maybe slightly be regretting not having a European option in the way that the WTA have got with Palermo. I think that's looking like a a good move from the WTA to to allow European-based players to get a... A week of competition in before possibly heading over to the states for for the U.S. Open. Um, but I think I agree with David; it's less than ideal. And I think what the golf's had, which has been good, is they've had like just loads of PGA Tour events leading up to well, I think three majors in a quite congested period later on in the year. That would be ideal, but the nature of tennis, just with with so many more global players it's just it's just difficult to do that so naturally the bigger events have been saved and i think i think cincinnati slash the western and southern open slash new york whatever we're calling it is is a decent lead-in for for the u.s open and it also it just helps protect this bubble so it it kind of makes sense Uh, it's not ideal but it's probably the best Mm -hmm. best they could have come up with
1: ideal is out the window yeah i think (laughs) um uh, while we're on the subject, just uh, going to a question that we had on Twitter from Joe Nixon, at the new Joe. Don't know who the old Joe was, but um, <laughs> great great that you're the new Maybe it's just the new you, Joe. Uh, anyway, uh, Joe's question is, if you were a player, would you be happy to travel to the USA to take part in the US Open this year?
3: Wow, I know it's quite
1: hard for you to, to conceptualise being, being a professional tennis player, mm. David. But oh, I, try, I don't try and it's get, get yourself there—it's
2: quite a leap. It's
3: not that big a stretch. If I, um, if I consider how I was playing the other week oh, when God. I was um, when I won when I won the first set on a tiebreak against Solihull Hall Simon, and then I had a bit a slight mental meltdown and went love four down before we had to call time up, before my comeback would have started. Um, anyway. Um, I think well there's two things actually one is how would I feel if I were a player and I hadn't played for 5 months and if I wasn't a multimillionaire uh given the money that's available at the US Open and and given the the measures that are being put in place for them I think I would feel pretty safe I think I think I would do it and uh, and would be prepared to, to go. I wonder how I would feel if I were allowed to go as a journalist. We're not. We're not allowed as media. They're not going to let us in. The There will be no media coverage other than ESPN who are going to be allowed on site, we believe, but no other broadcasters will be there, no other media will be there, which which does bother me in terms of the ability to properly report in a even way in a in a in an objective way there is a danger with a lot of these sporting events i was reading and um watching coverage of of inside the nba bubble for instance and apparently the nhl for instance in the hockey is just not letting any outside media in whereas they are in the nba and you'll therefore get um properly independent journalism on the ground um but would i be prepared to go now when I've got two kids and have been at home for five months, not sure I would. Not sure if 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 you you told me now, I could go tomorrow um, and cover it. When I don't feel that the media would would be able to be looked after in the same way as the players will be, I'm not sure I'd feel as comfortable.
1: So that's to do with the. Um Situation on site rather than the travel that would be required. if you could click your fingers and be in New York on site, would that
3: change your your view? I think I just think it would depend on what the measures were. If I were a player and you've got this bubble, I think I would be comfortable doing that. Andy Murray talks about it overnight. Get in there once you're inside the bubble, you should be okay really, given the measures that are all there. Um, I know New York is is way down in its uh, cases at the moment compared to certainly the rest of the United States and and is doing well generally. Um, But yeah, it would would definitely cause me pause for thought as a journalist um, and I'm quite glad not to be making that decision. But uh, as a player, I think given the amount of things they've got in place, I would do it.
1: Matt, you were going to be making your tennis podcast US Open debut this year
2: yeah (laughs) Uh. um i mean i wouldn't i wouldn't go as a as a member of the media now certainly i mean i'm on a very i don't know just very vigilant state whenever i go out outside even i feel just quite uncomfortable just even going anywhere the thought of getting on a plane and going to new york just seems so Far removed from anything that I would that I am doing at the moment, and would be comfortable doing. Um, I also think a lot of the players might look at, as we've touched on, how some of these tennis players have been behaving at their exhibition events, and be worried about whether they would be kind of safe in and around them. If you know, if, if the bubble was broken, I think that that would be a legitimate concern for a lot of players as well. I think that's something Danielle Collins um actually talked about before before she broke the bubble that the behaviour of other players is going to put some players off from returning to the tour. Um but I do agree that as a as a as a player it, it it would be different from a member of the media or any kind of fans. Obviously they're not going to be allowed. But I think the players are going to be protected and it's going to be the onus on them to make the best of their situation. But it it varies in players as well. You know, I'm sure some players can take private jets and some players have to travel commercially and that's a very different kind of experience as well. So I I, I don't think it's the same for for all the players.
1: Yeah, I I, I mean, frankly, we're in a climate now where everybody is making their own risk-reward assessment, right? And and everybody's... um, I I mean, I suppose people's aggregated risk is, is... Pretty similar, if, if everybody's respecting the bubble and everything, but people's perception of the, the the rewards on offer will be will be different. You know, for Serena, the the dangling carrot of um, you know number twenty four is is immense. For Novak Djokovic, the the dangling carrot of of um, it's, Stealing a march on on Federer and Nadal in the in the goat race is immense for the for the world number 150. The the possibility to to play in the main draw um, of a Grand Slam and the points and the and the money that comes with that that incentive is immense. Um, of course, the the risk is different depending on where you are in the world. Um, my I think one of my biggest concerns about travelling at the moment would be the risk of being stranded somewhere. Um, just over the last weekend here in the UK, we've now impl- implemented, and it seemed to happen very, very quickly, they've had a surge in cases in in Spain. And on Saturday, I think it was announced that um, all um, returning travellers from Spain to the UK would have to quarantine for 14 days. And then sort of 12 hours after that, the travel advisory Came out um, advising against all travel to main, mainland Spain. It felt like that happened so quickly, um, and I would be, I would just be in a constant state of anxiety. I think if I travelled abroad at the moment, ab- about that happening, the prospect of being stranded somewhere and and the situation sort of shifting beneath my feet, um, even if even if you know I went somewhere in in the knowledge or the feeling that that it was being made safe, I I wouldn't trust that to last um, in the current climate. But yeah, I mean, I can't, it depends what situation I was in as a tennis player. If I were a 23 time Grand Slam champion, (laughs) going just let's all enjoy this thought experiment for a moment. (laughs) I'm a 23 time Grand Slam champion. I'm going for the all time record.
3: Maybe I would. And you're not having to do international travel, Mm. in her Mm. case. Um, I mean, you just mentioned there another another point of interest as to... I mean, look, it looks like, more likely than not, the US Open will go ahead at the moment. But if Spain is struggling and starts to get a surge again now, and the next event after the US Open is Madrid, and they're trying to organise waivers in order to overcome the quarantine passage and issue for people coming from America to the EU, is that going to throw a spanner in the works? So, you know, there's so much much that this is dangling, that is dangling on this thread, which could go at any time for a number of reasons. And I also
2: think Grigor Dimitrov's case makes it clear that players... Don't want to get this virus either. I mean, that
3: was quite quite um, haunting, wasn't it, to see mm. him? I, I've always thought of Dimitrov as almost the the healthiest looking tennis player I've ever seen. Just he never seems to run out of gas in matches. He looks incredibly fit and and as though he just lives well and and could run and party all night. And suddenly you've got this guy who's just standing there saying. I was in bed for three weeks and I couldn't, I didn't feel, I just, I still don't even feel right now. Mm. And and that's, that's what really gets you the thought that, well, even if you don't have a severe case of it, what damage is it doing to you in the long run? In terms, even if it's not a sort of lifestyle damage, what if it's a career damage? It's so difficult to, to make confident decisions. Yeah.
2: I mean, he's talked about, Weight loss, trouble breathing. He's talked about also the mental struggle of then having to be in self isolation for fourteen days. It sounds like that really took its toll on him as well, while he was also feeling horrible. I'm
1: not sure I like the idea of Grigor Dimitrov no. isolated with his own thoughts for fourteen days.
2: No. <laughs> <laughs> no, and he he looked in a in a, quite a bad way during this mm. during this U T he didn't look ready to for me, I mean, I guess, I guess he wanted to see where he was and try and get some sort of idea of where his fitness levels were. But I think it was somewhat of a shock to him just, just how much he was still struggling.
1: Hang on, did you watch the Ultimate Tennis Showdown, Matt?
2: No, but it's, 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 it's it sounds it, like it's hang actually on, quite difficult hang to on, escape. It. it
1: really sounds like you did.
2: No, Come I mean on. It, no. It it popped up on my <laughs> on my Twitter feed. What can I say? Is that annoying thing on Twitter where people you follow like something and it comes up on on your feed? And then uh, I thought, well, I might have a I might have a quick look.
1: We've we've got a we've got a question from Drew and David, who um, we thought liked us, given that they've backed us and everything. But the question is, does tennis need saving? And is Patrick Mouratoglou our savior? <laughs>
2: They did put that that was a troll.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Anyone want to take that? No? No takers? We'll, we'll just leave that hanging in the air. Um, they've put a few UTS-related questions in. Actually, are we ready for those, or shall I skim skim over?
2: Yeah, we can do it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, directly regarding UTS, they say, when does tennis stop being tennis? And start being something else. And how does your answer differ in professional versus recreational settings? I think they're talking about sort of the scoring system. How fundamental is tennis's scoring system to the, the DNA of the game? I would say almost entirely.
2: Hmm. I, th- I think this is because I said it's questionable whether it's even tennis. Mm-hmm. What was it? month ago or so um i think i think you can still play tennis without the traditional scoring system but i think the traditional scoring system is what makes it brilliant and Mm. significant and (laughs) i just don't think that should be messed with i'm sorry i think there's a i think it's Breathe Matt. <laughs> I think <laughs> it's I think it's admirable as we've talked about to be thinking of ways that tennis can be improved and probably sped up. I think that is the way sport is going. It's the way the world is going and it would be naive of tennis to think it can resist that I think. But I think there's a difference between changing the scoring system and changing the speed of play. For example, have you ever watched a Federer match and thought, this is too long? No, you probably haven't because he's quick between points and, the, and just the rhythm of the match is fine. And, and there are plenty of other players as well. I've just picked Federer because it just came mm. to mind first. But I just don't think that completely changing the scoring system to a point where you don't have to win the last point that shouldn't be a thing In all those matches we relived the best ones were the ones where it was a struggle for the player to win the final point because you, you can't run down the clock that is that is the beauty of tennis you have to win the final point point. and why on earth are we trying to get rid of that i'm sorry i just don't yeah, understand I would say- but-
1: david you are nodding uh- along there furiously but you are a man that this week tried to claim a 7-6 love 4 school line 7-6 love 4 match abandoned school line as a victory so you can pipe down
3: <laughs> well come on I mean who's won the set there you know
1: well you didn't did you win the last point
3: I can't remember was mm. it? no I didn't because right. he, he won the fourth game <laughs> the next question um, <laughs> Oh, hold on a minute. Let me just have my say on this. Um, and personally, I I I think this is the time to to run this sort of thing. So you know, if you're going to try stuff out, this is where to try it out. And there are there are one or two things that I've enjoyed. I saw this dive in volley from Dustin Brown, where the TV camera angles they'd managed to get of this were just stuff that I'd never seen before. They'd managed to get on the court in a in a way that you can because it's not a normal tournament, and you you just saw stuff that I really I enjoyed one or two bits. Um and I mean, look, I only did watch clips, but i can't i mean I miss tennis, but I'm not watching this mm. really um and I think that that probably says a lot now that may say a lot about just me being a traditional tennis f- fan and follower and reporter um but i'm not really go i'm not really i could be watching this, and I'm not really watching it um so I know Moritoglu's view is well, yeah, we're not creating it for you, we're creating it for a new audience. Um, And he's claiming percentage of of people that are watching it who've never seen it before. Although I should say he's not actually giving out numbers of the the people that are watching it at all. So we don't know what that is, a percentage number, whether it's got any relevance at all. Um, But I just feel that when you are constantly trying new scoring systems out and if you are if you brought that in, if you brought lots and lots of different types in i I would struggle to follow what's going on i think really i I like to have a common scoring system i don't i think it's good to have an option for instance in golf I like the fact that there is match play and there is stroke play for in 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 cricket I like one day internationals and five days and I can just about take twenty twenty as well so I think there is room for for different types. Of scoring system within a sport, but when you're changing things to that degree, yeah, it does start to feel like well, it just doesn't feel like tennis, really. The the shots might be the same, but um, but the rest of it not. There is actually one reply that we had to your appeal for questions, Matt, by Arturo Viveros, who says despite the initial scepticism, there are a number of positives related to UTS. Successful execution in challenging mid-pandemic times. Inclusion of women as a priority in their agenda. Well, yeah, they have and added a four women tournament to the initial one. Although it was pretty jarring to see their graphic with about twelve blokes and four women on it, um, and great camera angles. Which he says, "Are you prepared to acknowledge this?" Yes, we are prepared to acknowledge this. Well, I am, anyway. But I still, I still hope that tennis can carry on being normal tennis as we used to because i think that that's that basically great
1: question from diana c on twitter at dialogue what do you think about the crowd noises audio uh what do you think about crowd noise audio at crowdless matches she said it seemed to add atmosphere at the, uh, U- at the UTS events, whilst the British one, uh, I think she's talking about the uh, Battle of the Brits, um, was a bit too antiseptic. Um, that event held at the National Tennis Centre. They opted not to, to have um, artificial crowd noise um, on the TV broadcast um obviously with football a number of other sports um artificial crowd noise is being used or at least being offered as as an option on a lot of channels you can you can select whether to have the artificial crowd noise or not with football um when football made its return in the UK i was expecting not to want artificial crowd noise because i just i don't like fake things i don't like pretend um but then I watched about a minute and a half <laughs> of football with no crowd noise and very promptly uh, and ever since have elected for crowd noise and have no regrets about that because there are some things <laughs> really quite haunting uh, about the noiseless stadiums that I yeah, I don't want to to confront and I I'm I'm quite happy to allow myself the concession of living in a slight land of make believe <laughs> while watching sport um during this weird time but I don't know whether it will I whether it will work f- for tennis. I don't I I when would you well, I mean a, a big job for a DJ
3: and And what do you do with it? because yeah. you you were talking last week, we were you pointed us in the direction of the the test match cricket that was going on and and to listen to that, and it had this quite comforting oh, it baseline was the hubbub it's in the background amb- ambient it?
1: ambient lords um pavilion noise, so not specifically yeah. crowd cheering, but just this sort of really low level a sort of hum of activity and I I want it fed into my veins. I want it playing while I tried to get to sleep. It was yeah, just like a warm blanket.
3: I find a sort of low-level football sound to to be preferable personally to su- silence and just hearing lots of blokes shouting and <laughs> swearing. Um with the tennis, with the Battle of the Brits, I personally loved the silence because tennis does silence really really well Wimbledon has shown that when you can hear a pin drop and you get a rally it amped up the tension within that particular tournament how I will feel inside the 23,000 seat Arthur Ashe Stadium I'm not so sure whether I want that and
2: there was something very particular that the battle of the brits did i think which is why it worked with no artificial crowd noise is that they had extra mics on the court and also interaction between players and the coaches so agreed as as much as there was silence between the points there was also occasionally a a nice little line that a player would come out with that that the on-court mics would pick up or there was a little bit of dialogue with the coach so it actually gave you a reason to watch like to keep watching the screen and to keep attentive to the downtime between points because occasionally something might happen and I think so generally I would be in favor of having crowd noise because like you I think I've I think I've enjoyed it in other sports I think it's harder in tennis but I think there probably is something that could be done but if you're not going to have crowd noise I would I would be in favor of extra mics on the court trying to pick up things the players are saying even, as, as I've said before, even allowing a little bit of interaction between the player and the box, just just to give the broadcast something a little bit more exciting.
1: Is it is it certain, David, that they will use the Arthur Ashe Stadium? It's possible that they could
4: they are using elect
1: it. not to. They are definitely yeah, using it. Because... My,
3: my understanding is that they're going to use for the Western Southern Open, they're not mm. going to use it. Mm. They're going to use the other courts to to provide a differentiator between the two tournaments, uh, which I I think is smart.
2: But they said during the press conference for the U.S. Open that the Arthur Ashe Stadium and the Louis Armstrong Stadium, I think, will have lines people, whereas all the outer courts are going to have Hawkeye electronic line calls. So the plan is to use the Arthur Ashe Stadium for the U.S. Open for sure.
1: Will COVID-19 hasten the progress of electronic line calling or will there be an emotional appeal to return to the norm when restrictions ease?
3: I think it probably will hasten change more generally. I think that there will be some changes made here that stay um, for the future. I I think that uh, we've probably seen the last of towels being brought to players i think that's all for the best i i can't imagine eventually that we won't have hawkeye live pretty much everywhere um i i think that probably will happen
4: mm,
2: me too i think it's a little bit of a, it would be a little bit of a shame i mean it's such a fine balance whenever you take the human element out of sport i think there's obviously big debates about that in football at the moment i think goal line technology pretty much unequivocally a success there are people are divided on whether that's been a success but the idea of i guess the idea of line calls is that it could be like goal line technology and it, it can just be right or wrong and so i do think that we we were going in that direction anyway and yeah this this probably will speed
4: it up
3: Now for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners eighteen free meals plus free dessert for life and of course free shipping on your very first box. Go to HomeChef.com slash tennis. That's HomeChef.com slash tennis for eighteen free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right.
1: Char YB asks on Instagram Instagram if he could only play one which I mean we're already in a very fantasy universe because he's definitely, definitely playing both. But if he could only play one, which of the US and French Opens would you recommend that Dominic Team plays? Matt and I have both uh, picked Dominic Team in our now decimated start of the year predictions to win the US Open. So I think we've, we've <laughs> got to advise him to play that,
2: haven't we? Someone calculated that Team had played. 25 matches in the in the lockdown (laughs) period i mean (laughs) that is ridiculous um i i think yeah i think he could he's one of the ones who very realistically could play both and will play both um but i think he has a better shot of winning the u.s open i think it's the same it's the same things we were saying in australia actually he's probably a better clay quarter still than he is hard quarter, but he's very good on hard courts and his problem is Nadal is on a different level at the French Open. Uh, So I think obviously obviously Djokovic is a big hurdle at the US Open, but I think he's the second best hard court player in the world behind Djokovic on the men's side and I think that the first one back, you know, the US Open could be a tournament of slightly strange results as players adapt to not having a crowd and generally coming back after such a long layoff it's it it feels like could be a chance now he could be a victim of 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 those strange results I get that as well but it's possible that the draw could open up and I do think I do think that's he's a genuine genuine contender at both but I think he's more likely to win the US Open
1: yeah he'd 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 probably be the second favourite at
2: both Mm. Grand
1: Slams. Um, I I mean, let's not forget that he's not allowed to play Kitschbühel unless he plays the US Open. (laughs) And obviously Kitschbühel is the number one priority. So, (laughs)
3: Are you suggesting he's going to tank in the first week of the US (laughs) Open? Yeah, I mean,
1: in order to (laughs) play Kitschbühel, he has to play and lose early at the US Open. I mean, it's... Yeah... W- not in a hard it, place, really? Dominic.
3: See, my am glasses half full. So, you know, if he wins the US Open, OK, we can handle not playing Kitspiel. If he loses first week in the US Open, gets to go to Kitspiel. Brilliant.
2: <laughs> Do you think if he wins the US Open, it will be like, God, after all, <laughs> this is actually better than winning Kitspiel.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Who'd have
3: thought? Um, the... <laughs> Poll Vault is is just about in agreement, um, uh, 1,873 votes. Uh, eight, I asked whether, if they're both played, whether team will win one or other, both or none of them. And Twitter tells me that 18.4% of them say that uh, he'll win the US Open. 16.7% say the French Open. 6.5% think he'll win both. And 58.5%... Think he won't win any at all. There you go.
1: Irrelevant. Okay, moving on. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, do, are we bored of we're bored of COVID? Equi- I mean, everything sort of has a COVID tinge to it, doesn't it? But I'm going to move away from COVID-specific questions. Um, was this? This is one from Drew and David. I think was this round of the Unified Tour movement. Um, the biggest flash in the pan ever. It's been a. It, it's certainly discussion of it has somewhat
2: muted, hasn't it? But don't you think that's well. COVID related?
1: <laughs> I mean, the, the word COVID or coronavirus wasn't in the question. I mean, I mean, look, the, the the question of unified tours was around a long time before COVID was around. As as Billy Jean King pointed out when Roger Federer raised the topic I've been suggesting this since the early 70s Um, so Covid might have sort of unintentionally brought this to the fore but it's been a good idea for a long
3: time. Still want to know if uh, the ATP have any intention of inviting the WTA to share the O2 for the finals now that China has cancelled all sporting events for the rest of the year and therefore some of the biggest events on the WCA event calendar as things stand will not take place at all. So, you know, that would be the ultimate tennis united, wouldn't it? Share the O2 and uh, I mean not the ultimate, but it'd be a pretty big move. No sign. It's
2: all right. You don't you don't have to use the word ultimate, you know, particularly <laughs> accurately in tennis. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um uh, yeah, I mean, I think that would be a splendid idea. Or back to back weeks. I mean, the O2, all concerts at the O2 are cancelled, aren't they? I mean, I don't know. Steve Simon has said that uh, the prospect of holding the WTA finals else, uh, elsewhere is remote. Is that the word he's used? Highly improbable. Highly improbable um for uh, he's not gone into detail about reasons but one can speculate
3: well uh, actually there was a bit of detail because uh he, he said i mean i think one of the issues is is financial there's so much money wrapped up in the, that deal with china and what happens to the money that they committed and now they're not going to hold events there. The other one that they've tried to say is that uh, there's a credibility issue of qualification for a finals if you have such a depleted calendar. Now, I mean, that could be a little bit of a pop at the ACP because they haven't suggested that they're intending to curtail their race in any way. Um, but yeah, I think it's it feels slightly diversionary really because if Shenzhen was available to host this wta finals i wonder whether they'd be talking about and it was the only event that they could host there for instance would they then be talking about the legitimacy of it of the race given the the paucity of events still remaining
1: if, if they could host that finals in shenzhen they would be regardless of of any other factors integrity of the race points all the rest of it, if it would, if if the <laughs> Chinese government allowed it and it were deemed safe, they would be going ahead with that come hell or high water. Which I entirely understand. You know, I I know how high the stakes are. I I get it. I I just yeah, it does feel a, a little on the reasoning side. It does feel like a um a bit of a fudge to suggest it's down to integrity or something because you know the ATP have done a workaround for that, which is. Not ideal, but again, I think a a decent compromise to to try and create a sort of credible way of being able to host the finals i I think it it works within the very, very unideal parameters that we're that we're dealing with um, but <sighs> what was the actual question? <laughs>
2: About whether the merger talk was a oh crikey the the merger,
1: Hmm. uh, I mean time will tell. But I I fear yes, I fear yes.
3: And define merger. I think Mm. that's the other the other thing is in this context. How what are you talking about? They are more united than they used to be. uh, Certainly on on the face of things. But how deep are they intending to go? Um, And our idea of merger is you become one organization and represent both men's and women's tennis and and have it fully equal. Well, yeah, I, I, that seems like a as far away off as ever.
1: I mean, it's easy to talk about unity when your when your interests are temporarily completely aligned, which is by and large what's been the case over the past four or five months. It's the the test comes when your interests. Um, I mean as we see it on the wider scale in terms of greater good of tennis their interests are aligned but on the more micro scale um, once their interests start to to diverge that's the test of of unity and I I I fear that 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 test won't be passed and for 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 a lot of reasons i understand that because you know the stakes are so high at the moment we're talking about the the survival and continuation of some of the the pillars that hold up the sport you know that i, might I, be I can understand i a can future. understand why yeah well exactly i can understand why organizations governing bodies will want to revert to the sort of every man for themselves um french tennis federation type uh um mindset and sort of lose sight of the bigger picture but i still stand by the bigger picture vision that that unity
3: is is the better course Um, and and a merger is the better course but it requires
1: big picture thinking
3: but I think it's got more chance now than it had in the past because there's a reason to there's a reason to do it. Everybody's in such trouble. Surely the sport has a better chance of recovery if it represents itself as one. That that is w- what I do hold out hope for. That there is a, there is a reason to do this now.
1: Uh, but but that's decision making at a macro level. What is actually happening? is a constant series of micro decisions that aren't working towards that one specified macro goal. Tennis tennis needs a commissioner, somebody whose job it is to oversee the whole thing and have always in mind the greater good of the sport, which leads me, David, segue alert onto another question from Drew and David, uh, which is, who would you nominate for the commissioner of tennis? Oh dear, blank. I th- I thought you'd have an instant answer. I've got blank faces. Mary Carillo,
3: always. Well, Billie Jean she, King. I mean, in terms of a thinker, and yeah, I mean, why not? Why not? Yeah, you 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 just you need somebody who doesn't have loads of self interest and yes guarding their jobs at mind at all somebody who doesn't need it somebody who just wants to do it because they want to make a difference they they can see that that bigger picture and to hell with everything else to hell with all the personal interests yeah so i mean yeah fine mary mary's absolutely fine mary will do <laughs> or a it. mary okay,
1: mary billy jean combo
3: yeah that that will work perfectly if you were offered the job, would you take it me <laughs> yeah yeah you, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll take it, yep.
2: <laughs> David on this podcast has offered to be the commissioner of tennis and Garbine Mugurutha's coach, I remember once was a thing <laughs>
1: <laughs> he's available folks he's he's waiting by the phone for which one are for you more any and all offered
3: for. I don't think I'd be allowed to do both at the same time because <laughs> there's a conflict of conflict interest. Conflict of interest, there, isn't there? yeah, yeah. So sorry, Garbino. Is I've there taken any? The is there anybody job.
1: that wouldn't have a conflict of interest though?
3: Well, if you take the commissioner of tennis job, everything else goes. Okay. Sorry, the podcast is over, folks. <laughs> at least my involvement. <laughs> Matt, would you take the job? <laughs> no. <laughs> I couldn't do for that the,
1: for the greater good of tennis.
3: You'd have to take there are, you'd have to ditch your Fulham shirt, Matt. Yeah, you can't be showing any favouritism to me. football teams.
1: Okay, but you're being offered the job. The powers that be deem you the best person. Would you take it?
3: Student Matt, Grad Matt, Matt Roberts, Commissioner Matt.
1: <laughs> it's the natural progression. No.
2: No. I mean no. <laughs> Would you Right, that's that sorted then? What about um, you, Catherine?
1: if yeah yeah i'd take it i don't think i'd be very good at it um i, I think of the three of us david you'd be the best but i'd i'd take it <laughs> well that's the end of the podcast then if one of us gets that gig um <laughs> I, think,
3: I think we're on fairly safe ground
1: uh, at the moment that it won't happen <laughs> <laughs> um, got a couple of actual sort of tennis related questions to end on do you remember tennis Anyone think so? um, I mentioned a couple of tennis players. You've got to sort of remember who they are. Um, uh, Question Another one from Joe and David. In the American media, they say there's a perennial discussion of Madison Keys being on the verge of turning a corner and winning bigger titles and winning majors. They say she's only 25, but what's the international perspective on her like? When will we really start worrying about under delivering and they say they like madison um but they've been annoyed by the sort of narrative surrounding her they're constantly on the edge of something great um sort of discussion about her and i i think i i think i agree i think madison keys now is what she is and will have moments but i have probably in the last six to nine months slightly adjusted my view of of her and my expectations of her i don't think she is a grand slam champion in the, in waiting most likely
2: i think she can still change how her career is viewed because i think she could still win a slam but i don't think she's going to necessarily massively change who she is as a tennis player i think I think now she is somewhat of a known quantity i think I think it's kind of natural that there's discussion about wanting her to do more or expecting her to do more because she has been so sort of consistent in slams um, and she won Cincinnati last year, won charleston so it 's kind of natural that you would talk about the next step, but I think when she didn't go far at the US Open last year that felt like a really that felt like a moment for me where I thought hmm okay maybe maybe this is who Madison Keyes is that she that she has good runs at slams but she doesn't win them I still think she's got the potential to win them but I don't think it's likely and I think it's I think it's quite likely that people will stop talking about her as potential to win it largely because there's this new younger generation who people are talking about more now I mean. Madison Keys is still fairly young, but she's quite a bit older than Barty, Osaka, Andrescu, Benchich. Those are kind of the names Gough that people are going to be talking about. So I think I think there will be a shift in in the language that's used around Keys.
3: David, I would say that um, Andrescu is what I thought Madison Keys would be when I first saw Keyes play. I thought she would have the same impact that. Andrescu's turned out to have and win a Grand Slam young, out of nowhere, prodigiously, and go on and just be a permanent or a regular factor at the sharp end of slams. Injuries have played a part, a pretty big part of her in, in, in some big matches, but she just has never established a, a solid enough base to her game that is reliable enough and when things are looking good, she sometimes just blows up and and doesn't produce. So I find it quite interesting that her consistency is almost underrated at, at the Grand Slam. She's she's turned up quite regularly now at the quarterfinals and better stages of Slam. So she's she's got an, a degree of consistency there. But and I th- I think that that will be how her career continues. I, I don't expect her to do more than that other than the fact that I think she could well have a hot streak for a fortnight and win a slam because her top level is just still extraordinary. And I think that she could string that together for seven matches, but I don't expect her to have the career that Brad Gilbert, Martina Navratilova thought she would have, I thought she would have of becoming world number one and dominating for a couple of years I, that will not happen in my mm. opinion.
1: I agree game wise game wise it's there um, and is still there but I don't think she's got fangs. I think the consistency at the slams is enough for her. I think she'd like to win a slam. I don't think she you know wants or needs to win a slam more than anything else in her life and that's okay. You know, that's. I'm not judging that, but I, I, I question the the fangs and the that sort of raging desire that
3: she's got a good might life be required. And yeah, pe- people like her. I think she's somebody who's probably a great friend and mm. just a great person to have in your life. Yeah, she's um, got great trainers, and, and she is someone that I think is very probably very content with that. And and some of the stuff she's been doing to stick up for young women and mm. girls and, and aspiring athletes. I, I find it really inspirational. And and perhaps that's ultimately the biggest mark that she will lead, leave. And if it is, then all credit to her because it's really uplifting to see what she's doing there. But I don't think that that desire stretches to just the winning of tennis matches in the way that it does with some. Mm.
2: Because she's almost unnoticeable at slams like she 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 gets to the quarterfinal without you really noticing she's there and then she's out so many of her losses in slams have been straight sets and it's it's almost like she doesn't have those fangs or whatever it is that's something extra to get over the line and i don't know how I don't know how you develop that. Um, I, it's kind of a question we've, we've grappled with in the past. But I, I think it's still, as you said, possible that her tennis could just carry her through one, two weeks. But when she comes up against someone who turns it into a match, I'm, I'm yeah. not backing Madison Keys in that. But I, I think she needs to be playing her absolute best to win in, at the latter stages. And that's not really a formula that, that is reliable.
1: One or two quick ones to end on. Will there be a seismic spate of retirements after Tokyo 2021? And they've put in brackets here if it goes forward, which is just um, the most depressing words ever put in brackets. Um, So let's just live in a happy land where we're assuming Tokyo 2021 happens. Um, Yeah. Will there be a seismic? spate of retirements after Tokyo twenty twenty one and or after the first full regular season of tennis is played, whatever that looks like. Which I think are two slightly different questions there, I think. One is sort of a covety question, um, and the other one is a more about kind of the Olympic cycle. And I would say yes, I think they there most likely will be a spate of retirements after after Tokyo 2021 just because it provides such a a natural full stop you know it provide, t- tennis is tennis is this just ongoing treadmill usually and the Olympics being only every four years it provides this mark of punctuation and I think that's quite often what players are looking for with retirement A sort of you know why this week rather than next week, there's always another event to go to, there's always something. And I think the Olympics kind of provides that quite naturally. And also, you know, if you're hovering on the edge of retirement, if it's sort of vaguely in your thoughts, you know, say, if you are Roger Federer, why on earth would you retire the year before an Olympics? You know, okay, hanging on for an extra three or four years, maybe not. But, you know, it's certainly an incentive to hang in an extra year or maybe two longer than than you otherwise might.
2: The only thing I would say is I remember that conversation happening certainly last time at Rio and I think probably around London as well and I'm not I'm not sure whether it actually did yeah. lead to a space I think of I predicted
1: the retirement of both <laughs> Williams sisters post both those Olympics
2: <laughs> <laughs> but but I think it's just a natural consequence now that a lot of the game stars are at an age where the next Olympics is so much further away. Well, actually, it's only three years away if, if, if Tokyo happens in 2021. But, you know, I think it's just going to be a natural consequence, not necessarily of the Olympics, but just the fact that they are really at a point where retirement is probably only one or two years away now. There's only so far I think you can extend the lifespan of a tennis player and they've pushed it kind of right to its limit in these last few years so i think it's just it's just going to happen in the next few years that we are going to see a lot of high profile retirements but i think i think another interesting thing is whether i don't know whether the brian brothers have they talked about whether their retirement plans are changing at all yeah because, that's
1: a good point they were going to retire after the u.s open weren't they
2: because, because i i feel like if some players were thinking maybe they hadn't announced it, if they were thinking that this year would be their final year, it's possible that this actually might extend some careers because mm. it's not a it's not a great year to go out on. I think there's not <laughs> <laughs> really it's not is a great it?
1: year to do anything on. Matt. No, true. No.
2: I, I I wonder whether some people think I'd like to, I'd like to give it another go and go out when well, there's they crowds. They already
3: said the the Bryan brothers already said playing tennis in a deserted Arthur Stadium is not what I want Mm -hmm. uh, as a way to go out and you know I think that they will perhaps consider it if tennis is back but what if tennis isn't tennis Mm -hmm. isn't unlikely to be back in front of full crowds next year we could see a number of players just kind of think you know what I don't want to keep in shape for another 18 months and do what you have to do even to maintain that baseline fitness i just don't want to do it anymore and and not when i can't see an end in sight necessarily to to all these problems to play tennis in front of a full stadium um even even roger federer has got a right old job on his hand just to keep his motivation i mean he's he's given some positive noises about how the surgery has gone um and he's going to train again in august but he wants to play in front of crowds. He's made that absolutely clear. So are there going to be crowds in Australia? We just don't know. Um, so the next year and a half could be just really, really weird. Um, and I think that there will inevitably be retirements, as you say, because of the ages of these people. And it will it will feel like a rush of them because there's, there's a big group of them all fairly old now, tennis-wise, and who are just – Icons of the game, so it'll feel like a big deal in that way.
1: Well, uh, Jim Boyle, uh, owner of uh, Lovely Crumble, our Australian Open mascot, asked a, a, a very related, similar question: um, Will we see a lot of retirements soon from players that can no longer be bothered and call it a day? I will. There be some that I paraphrase just, just that don't just bothered. don't just don't come back from from COVID. Sort of do yeah. do end on this horrible awful low um as you said david the the motivation required to for some of these guys to to come back is is not to be underestimated and if you're you were sort of already thinking about retirement already struggling for motivation and the hill becomes suddenly that much steeper um and the sacrifices required in in order to play become that much more maybe we are gonna lose some people that quote can't mm. be bothered <laughs>
3: what well, one of the uh, one of the byproducts of this period is that people have discovered another way of life mm. and they've slowed down because they've had to they've stayed in one place because they've had to i'm one of them i i haven't done this for since i was a kid since i you know just stayed in one place and hung out and 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 just let the hours become dinner daddy yeah um do pe with my kids over the field that's his nickname it's awesome um but the number of people now look these are people that aren't haven't completely lost their livelihoods i feel so sorry for the number of people that have and but a lot of the people that i know that are are lucky enough to still have jobs or at least be okay to weather this for a while so many people i speak to have said you know i'm really enjoying just not racing off to the next thing and, and constantly being pushed and on the go now that may wear off but I can really relate to that. Uh, I, I And I'd sort of wonder when you've got tennis players who've got no money worries at all, who've done 15, 20 years of travel, who've suddenly got used to being at home in one place, whether they might just think, you know what? I think I'll just leave it there. I don't want to give this up.
1: I, wonder, I do wonder if some players will come back and just have a completely remodeled game or have like a new shot or just... You know some ridiculous new haircut. You know Simon Briggs has used this time to uh, go from single-handed to double-handed backhand,
2: and grow a
3: beard,
1: and grow a beard, and sort of morph into Michael Sheen.
2: I was expecting the comment about Simon to be the haircut (laughs) angle, and it was done it all. He's
1: ticked all of the the lockdown transformation cliches <laughs> but you know what I mean like <laughs> maybe someone will someone will come back and suddenly be a servant volleyer
3: Matteo Berrettini is going to be interesting to watch because he he has quite clearly been thinking about his game and trying stuff out he's
1: going to come back uh, with a backhand
3: well I, th- I just f- I feel players like him are just going to be very interesting to watch somebody's a bit we've seen it with the resumption of the the football, the Premier League football, the Championship football, some clubs have just come out and just been on it straight away. Talking and about Bromford, David. I am, but they, sadly for them, <laughs> faltered at the last. <laughs> just in time for my team, my beloved West Bromwich Albion, to squeak in the back door and they're in the Premier League. Yes!
1: Matt looks too anxious to do football smugness. You've got a real look of trepidation in your eye,
2: Matt. It's actually the least... Stressed. I think I've been about the playoffs because we were in them three years ago, and I was in Barcelona and flew back for the playoffs. That was all quite stressful. And then a couple of years ago, I was doing my final exams at university while we were in the playoffs, which was which was very stressful. And uh, currently, I'm you know just talking to you two, which is uh, not too stressful. Um, I remember. So
3: you're going up? Oh,
2: (laughs) yeah. I, I, Catherine
1: I think we're we going up it. I Fulham I think Fulham are the favourites to go up yeah are they going up probably
3: yeah
1: <laughs> don't make me do predictions
3: Catherine just unsolicited, unsolicited
1: predictions <laughs> yeah, I do, I do th- I, yeah I do yeah but I thought Watford was staying up as well that didn't All pan right. out particularly Sorry, well Fulham are going up Fulham are going up <laughs> Um, so we start on football, we've ended on football. Hope you enjoyed that tennis podcast. <laughs> um, we did. It's been nice to sort of talk about tennis. I mean, I know we mostly talked about COVID-19, but such are, such are the times we live in. Um, we are going to be back on Thursday because, you know, we can't stay away. And uh, you know how David loves to do two or more podcasts in a week. Um, so we're going to be coming back due to popular demand, or at least some demand, uh, with Olympics Relived. Uh, we're going to stick to tennis for now, but my dreams of you know covering archery and Greco-Roman wrestling and um, canoeing uh, on, on Olympics Relived at some point in the future may yet come true. Uh, But for now, we're going to stick to reliving Olympic tennis moments. And it's going to be great. We've spoken to all sorts of people. This podcast recording was delayed by David having a chit-chat with Michael Shteeke this morning.
3: Yeah, it was. Yeah, we've got loads of people to talk to still over the next few days. And uh, I'm not exactly sure how many shows we're going to do, but there is talk of more than one
1: talk of more than one it's a little bit t- <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit tbc um but yeah but most likely more than one but we'll definitely be back on thursday with the first episode of our olympics relived series and i am very 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 excited about it and i'm hoping it doesn't sort of add to my um Olympics melancholia I hope it detracts from it because I
3: it'll help. Yeah. And we are talking about other sports because we've got to do what was happening during those Yeah. particular Olympics. And yes. I've got loads of anecdotes from when archery, I was about 8.
1: <laughs> archery is going to get a mention somewhere somewhere or other. Um so that was your listener question special. Thanks so much to Drew and David for your backing and for your excellent editorship. Um, of that podcast. It was supreme work um, and some really great questions there and uh, very well curated by Drew and David. So thank you. Um, and thanks for everyone that sent in questions. David loves to see how many questions we get in. <laughs> Um, loves to do sneaky pole vaults about them when I'm not looking. So that's great. Um, and thank you, Matt and David, for your opinions. Thank you, Matt, for being so withering about <laughs> certain things. Uh, and good luck to Fulham for later, Matt.
2: Thank you. Update on Thursday's podcast. Update
1: on Thursday. <laughs> Almost everyone listening to this will know how it went um, and will either be... <laughs> pitying you or celebrating alongside you anyway um long way to go playoffs wise um so
4: we'll see you Thursday it.